0: 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com work.
1: As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads
2: Hello and welcome to a new episode of What's the Crack? Today's episode will be on food addiction. Or is it food addiction? Is it eating dis- addiction? Food use disorder? Compulsive eating disorder? Does it even exist? This is what we will be unpacking in this episode and more. Today I'm joined with Amanda Raful. Amanda, could you introduce and say a little bit about yourself?
3: Sure. So um, I am a second year PhD student here at the University of Waterloo in the School of Public Health and Health Systems. I like to describe my work as sort of an intersection between obesity and eating disorders, and that's sort of where my interests lie.
2: Great. Thank you. So... Okay, so today we're talking about food addiction and whether it is a legit, I guess, addiction classification. For context, there is a debate in the field about whether food addiction is an addiction or whether it is an addiction, but we aren't using the correct terminology and etc, etc, which we will unpack later. So food addiction is the idea that food brings the same addictive qualities as some substances do. They make the same changes in the brain, the same dopamine rush and learned behaviors of reward and punishment, and bring the same ideas of tolerance and withdrawal. However, food addiction also includes a behavioural element, so where the brain experiences the same level of reward and punishment and reinforcement, but without a substance, for example gambling. Currently, food addiction hasn't been classified or recognised in the DSM-5, which stands for the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which is a manual that psychiatrists use to aid diagnosis in all medical conditions. It outlines specific criteria that a person has to present to be diagnosed. There have been a number of additions and changes in additions relate to the ever-changing mental uh, disorders and classifications. For example, addictions are now called substance use disorders. And in the most recent addition, binge eating disorder has now been introduced as a standalone disorder. And the list goes on. But if you'd like more information of what actually is addiction or substance use disorders actually are, then check out a previous episode of this podcast, literally called What Is Addiction? So what me and Amanda will be doing is exploring the idea of food addiction, the arguments for and against, and whether it should be classified and whether that is even helpful. So Amanda, would you like to start by maybe talking a bit about what you think food addiction is?
3: Sure. So I think that you touched on it really well, sort of in your little introduction brief, about food addiction being a pretty contentious issue right now. And there's a lot of controversy about whether um, it it is a thing, or if it's not an actual uh, addiction in and of itself. But uh, from what I've gathered in the literature, despite the fact that we have no actual definition of what food addiction is, it's uh, a series or a combination of both behavioral and substance related reactions that are elicited when individuals eat food that, like you said, can make it seem like it's an actual substance addiction or substance use disorder.
2: Okay, great. Thank you. And I, um, I read again that some of the debate in the literature were arguing whether, again, this is focusing on terminology, but whether it should be called eating addiction or food addiction, because then the eating incorporates the behavioral aspect. But then I think another argument that I read was if we're calling it eating addiction, then alcohol addiction should be drinking addiction and tobacco addiction should be smoking addiction. Do you, what do you think about the terminology, I guess, with between the both? And yeah.
3: Yeah, so I think that a lot of that has to do with the blurring of what exactly is a substance of the food addiction. So when it's an alcohol addiction or a tobacco addiction, I think that the actual substance itself is pretty clear. But with the food addiction, um, it's a question of whether or not it's all foods or just certain types of foods. And I think that's where a lot of the controversy in the area tends to stem from. Um, is it just that certain foods or qualities within the foods, like a specific sweetener or an additive is what's causing these addiction addictive reactions? Or is it just all food in and of itself.
2: Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, that's, again, where the confusion, or not even confusion, but how complicated it is. Because, again, what how you were saying with alcohol, is just one thing. But there's so many foods, and there's so many compounds to that food. There's sugar, there's fats. And then those are the, well, those are the two forms that have basically got so much anger towards it recently. And, yeah, where, who would you target first? And I think... I think again, one of the arguments was saying, oh, we should call it processed food addiction. But then that's a
3: massive group as well. Yeah.
2: So, yeah basically. I don't know.
3: (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely been. I know that um, one author in particular refers to it as like refined food addictions. Um, But the the problem with the types of foods that are being specified is that every single type of measure that we have for food addiction now. So the one that's most often used in research or even in clinical settings, the Yale food addiction scale actually clarifies types of foods um, that would be characterized at the food addiction. So right off the bat, the measures that we're using in and of themselves have some sort of built and bias we know what types of foods we will classify as an addictive type of substance mm.
2: yeah i was thinking as well because is this focused again on a compulsive eating because i think again with what you were saying with even your uh, even your specialities between obesity and eating disorders i think i've read again that it's slightly different because in this compulsion eating, which, you know, more forms towards binge eating, but then there's obesity, which could just be developed by overconsumption over time, which wouldn't necessarily be seen as an addiction because it doesn't tick the boxes that addiction needs. I right. Guess. Right. Yeah.
3: And I think we, when we tend to think of obesity, we we overblow or we think that that word and definition in of itself covers more than it does because what we tend to refer to as obesity is just a certain amount of excess body fat, right? And so when we start to tie um, behavioral uh, or characteristic or even uh, specific like psychological qualities or characteristics Mm -hmm. to just body fat, we're opening up a whole different can of worms because we're making these assumptions about individuals because of their weight. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And then yeah so even should we even be classifying obesity within food addiction or is it is it completely separate
3: yeah and yeah. and that's I think another interesting part of the literature is that there is quite a bit of evidence that says that what we measure as food addiction, I, I say food addiction with air quotes, mm-hmm. um, what we measure as food addiction, though, is uh, something that's a lot more prevalent among individuals with overweight uh, who, are, who are affected by obesity than it is in individuals who have like a lower weight status. So it's something that we see is as associated with it. But we can't necessarily say that they're the same thing. Right.
2: Yeah, that yeah, would make sense. We're talking about you know, sugar and high fat content, which is the ones that are really being focused on. But then thinking a bit maybe outside the box, would, could other food substances bring the same addictive qualities? But I guess in a behavioral aspect, aspect such as orthorexia, mm-hmm. as in focusing on the healthy foods. And I guess potentially the healthy foods won't bring that dopamine rush and that, um, the actual physical substance that sugar would. But the reward of eating healthy foods, Mm -hmm. is that the confusion with? I guess definitions as well between behavioral and substance
3: yeah yeah so the there's one element to the substance argument um or to the substance side of the argument and that the the actual substances within the foods themselves have addictive qualities Mm -hmm. or elicit some sort of like neural neurological reaction so there's obviously the obvious ones like you mentioned so sugar fat salt and those types of things uh which biologically and because of evolutionary processes that have gone on through years obviously our brain will reward us for those types of things they're present in the food system in a different way than they were seven, 800 years ago when our biology was being uh, shaped and determined by genetic factors, um, but they do have that sort of reaction. Mm-hmm. And then the other half is that behavioral. So the reason why I don't think that that's uh, a present factor with healthier foods so for example, someone who, um, let's say, really, really enjoys salads uh, might not get that same reaction is because a lot of the argument and criticism around food addiction is that it doesn't incorporate the element of restriction, which is what makes those foods like sugar, fat and salt so appealing to the brain
2: right well, could you explain a bit more what the restriction means in that in that area <laughs>
3: sure so yeah. certain foods we know like um, sugary foods salty foods starchy foods within our general society are regarded as the types of foods that are that taste good but are actually bad for you um, and so those types of foods generally because of the messaging surrounding them being bad for you um, or the emphasis on not consuming them in an excess But quality or quantity uh, means that we as people will try to restrict those foods more often than not. But there is a lot of evidence that restriction of certain foods actually elicits a greater craving and wanting of those foods. And so the question is when it comes to behavioral elements of food addiction, um, is is it just the fact that we know that we shouldn't (laughs) technically be having those foods that elicits that wanting and craving for them? And as a result, elicits a stronger reward when we actually get them.
2: Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I'm assuming then that society as a whole has in as a has a role in this by I guess framing it as naughty air quote foods. Like oh is a cake, oh I'm so bad for having this cake, but yeah. then now it's now on a pedestal. Yes. Because now it's a treat and now I'm not allowed to have it that much and then you open it a can of worms with that. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah. And I
3: think that that's why a lot of the people uh, that criticize food addiction in and of itself and criticize the measures like mm-hmm. that, that Yale food addiction scale that I brought up, say that that element of restriction is never brought into the equation. Mm-hmm. Because when we talk about other sorts of substances, um, that element of restriction takes on a whole different characterization because food is something that we all have to have Food is something that if you have a healthy relationship with food, you can consume all types of foods. It's not so black and white.
2: Yeah,
3: I, I like hesitate to ever moralize food as like a good food or a bad food. But there are definitely foods that do different things for our bodies. There are foods that obviously provide more nutrients. There are foods that fill social and cultural gaps. Could you imagine like a birthday without cake? No, because that's something that's social and that's a role that that food plays, even though that might not be providing us with, you know, all of the protein and the potassium and the calcium that we necessarily need, right? So all foods play a role in some capacity or some extent, which makes it a lot more different than any other type of substance that we've looked at before.
2: Yeah. I've got the DSM-5, the actual, um, the tick list of what you need to, uh, I guess, classify as an addiction. And reading through them, I could see how it would tick all those boxes. For example, like a substance is often taken in larger amounts over a longer period than it was intended, could do that. Um, There is a persistent desire or unsuccessful effort to cut down or control use of substance. Um, Continued use of the substance despite having persistent or reoccurring social or interpersonal problems. I mean, that's, you know, these are, You can see how these would, for example, uh, fit more into uh, tobacco or um, cocaine addiction. Um, Tolerance, I guess, again, would, because you could eat the same amount and not get the same effect, Mm -hmm. you know, I guess getting used to sugar. I don't know. I don't know whether this is my bias (laughs) from the media because then, you know, when people, every January people want to give up sugar and then everyone says that they feel great and then, you know, they had an initial headache which would, you know, tick the withdrawal. But then again, I don't know whether I've just read that from the media and I might not be wrong.
3: I might have just been classic you know fake news person there (laughs) i think i think that there's a couple of things in there that you're right we're totally shaped by the media and of course the way the evidence is presented in the media it completely paints a different picture i think that actually some elements like tolerance or withdrawal aren't so strong in the food addiction literature and a lot of the very strong evidence that comes from animal studies again can't really incorporate like you said those social elements surrounding food like Post-holiday, uh, you know, sugar depletion <laughs> or whatever it is. Um, so, I think that those types of things in the human eating literature aren't defined so strongly. And when it comes to actual, uh, you know, the the paralleling of food addiction with eating disorders, that that also sometimes can can be a little bit misleading for some people because assuming that, let's say, binge eating disorder aligns with the food addiction, I think takes away some of the the very strictly psychiatric elements of, of binge eating disorder itself. But you're right. Like some of the, the the check boxes, I think, can be ticked very cleanly, whereas others, it's not so strong. Uh, either because the definition doesn't line up so well, because, like you said, food is very different than substances or other substances that we're talking about. Uh, but also because we don't have super strong evidence to present some sort of um, like parallel for that. Yeah. Yeah. No.
2: Yeah. That makes sense. Um. I have a question, actually. Uh, Do you think calling it an addiction is a good thing? My bias
3: says no. (laughs) Um, So there is one criticism that has some evidence suggesting that when you call it Um, food addiction and addiction, it creates this sort of external attribution. And what that means is that people can sort of displace the blame or the shame that they have on themselves for having a craving or wanting a certain type of food on something outside of themselves. So I can't stop eating cake because it's my food addiction. Um, And in one way, some people might argue that that takes some of the stigma or the shame out of that feeling. But there's some limited evidence that suggests that what it actually does is that when you claim food addiction is something real and something that exists. More people will self-diagnose um, or self-assess themselves as being addicts to food. And when people perceive themselves as being addicted to food, something that they can't control, it doesn't really do much to help with their, health, uh, their relationship with food. Um, and some limited evidence shows that it actually might lead them to engage in more unhealthy eating behaviors. So they're more likely to eat those sugary, fatty, salty foods because in their mind, it's something out of their control it takes the agency out of food i think
2: okay that's interesting because i was i was battling in my head between whether i think it's a good thing because i was surprised at its creation because especially with substance addiction it brings so much stigma to drug users i'm comparing this with um, the word addiction with substance use like a cocaine heroin um the addiction the addiction label brings so much stigma that i'm surprised that They're wanting to bring this food addiction, something such heavy with stigma, or that's, you know, with cocaine and heroin has so much stigma, um, to the limelight when, especially with the DSM-5 that we've just said, has removed the word addiction and used it with substance use disorder. So they're actually getting rid of the word addiction because it's not helpful. And the word addict in some circles is offensive and not helpful. So that, for me, didn't really make sense that we were pushing for a new word that has already been, you know, in other circles should not to be helpful. But then on the other flip side that I was thinking was if food addiction and the word addiction helps people understand addiction more, would that therefore help the substance use uh, community? And I, I don't know, guess, give more empathy to those users of people who use heroin, use uh, cocaine, use... Um, ecstasy any other substance use that have been stigmatized as a drug user or air quote addict if the world accepts food addiction for what it is and has more empathy for those people will it therefore transfer onto that community I don't know those are my thoughts anyway because I was just like I don't know yeah. <laughs> is yeah. it good is it bad I don't know
3: No, and I think that that's a fair argument to bring mm. up is that yes once you say that it's something that's let's say, out of a person's, like, local, like, locus of control, right? Mm -hmm. Something like addiction that, um, although the term is stigmatizing within our society, we associate that word with somebody not being able to control Mm -hmm. in and of themselves. Um, And like I said, I think that that potentially can be harmful because it Mm -hmm. takes the agency out of a person's relationship with food and it implies that they, they can't control air quote themselves around these certain types of substances which in and of themselves are actually fairly healthy right like yeah. anybody can have a cupcake and still have a healthy diet that's, yeah. that's totally normal um, but I think you do bring up a good point and that's something that maybe gets glossed over sometimes in the criticisms is that it does take some of that blame off of individuals Um Maybe recognizing that there are broader societal factors that are impacting mm-hmm. their food choices, like the food environment, um, the cost of food, media and advertising, and those types mm-hmm. of things that we've seen from, let's say, tobacco are actually incredibly influential in people's decision mm-hmm. to start a substance, um, start using a substance, for example, or their inability to stop using that substance. So yeah. I think it can go both ways. And that, that definitely is a helpful argument that I think it's glossed mm-hmm. over a lot.
2: Yeah, so thinking about labeling and shifting the blame from the individual, do you think the label of addiction removes corporate responsibility?
3: The label of addiction in and of itself uh, for an individual, addiction implies something individual and it takes away all of those broader environmental and societal contributors to individuals, people's behaviors. Um, and and I think that addiction, the word in and of itself, just pathologizes eating behavior which in and of itself is normal, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're supposed yeah. to eat. Um, so, the the term food addiction, like you said, it's funny that they're actually using the word addiction when so much of the substance use world has moved away from that. Yeah. Uh, having worked in mostly prevention, community based settings, I don't do a lot of clinical work. Um, but in my limited clinical experiences. I do know that people with eating disorders or that some people that struggle with their weight and with obesity and overweight um, will talk about food and their eating experiences as having addictive-like qualities. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I think is important when we're critiquing food addiction as a term, as a phenomenon, as, a, as I guess a research thing that we're looking at, is that we don't want to discount or disqualify individuals' experiences as not being valid. So for individuals who feel like um, a food sitting, uh, an eating session has an addictive quality that they can't stop, has um, components that are similar to what we would normally deem as an addiction. I don't want to like invalidate them as you know people with disorders or people with certain conditions because it- it's important to listen to those voices. I just think that broadly within mm-hmm. a society, this whole concept of food addiction doesn't. Holds up or requires a lot more clarification and research.
2: Yeah. So yeah. could you talk a bit more about that? So do you mean that if we're introducing a broader term, it masks the individual voice? Is that that what
3: you're saying? I think that in critiquing the broader term, sometimes we're ignoring the individual voice. Mm. And so I don't want to invalidate individual people's experiences with food as something addictive that, let's say, they can't stop eating or thinking about or they feel like they have a hard time separating themselves from. Uh, So I think that those experiences are valid and their descriptions of them are. I just think that at a broad societal level, it's really hard for us to grasp what exactly is a food addiction.
2: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And... Do you think that, I think this has touched on something we've already just um, talked about, but do you think that an introduction of such term or a disorder or air quote addiction would increase?
0: Selling a little or a lot? Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile.
2: Diagnosis or self-diagnosis, I guess, and whether that'd be helpful or not.
3: I think that based on what um, some of the major critiques are and then some up and coming research states is that it definitely will increase self-diagnosis. Or at least some uh, self-identification with, oh, I can't control my eating and Mm -hmm. what foods I want to eat and why I can't eat them. And like I said, that can be positive because it takes some of the blame off an individual. But it's negative because it's not placing blame, air quote, (laughs) um, within a broader societal context. And it also makes people feel like they can't have a healthy relationship with food because it's out of their control. Um, I think that there are reasons we can't have a healthy relationship with food that are kind of like what we alluded to earlier, talking about industry and media and advertising. Um, and I guess just our normal cultural you know, assumption that cake is a bad food and that type of thing. So, yeah, but I, I do think that those types of healthy relationship with food can be achieved and putting an addiction label on it will prompt more people to either be diagnosed or self-diagnose themselves as impossible to achieve that or unworthy of achieving that when I don't think that that's true. Yeah.
2: yeah I guess it would I guess the self-diagnosis or diagnosis would help if then the next stage would be to seek help if they wanted help but I guess the self-diagnosis and like you said Potentially compla- complacency—is that the word I want? Complacency, and you know the oh, I can't do this because I'm addicted doesn't help. But if that person then goes, okay, I now need to seek help for this, and you know, help to manage said air quote addiction. Potentially, that would be a potential helpful thing. But yeah, you
3: know. yeah. But even with treatment, I think that we need a, a stronger or a more precise clarification of what the addiction is, because mm-hmm. how do we treat it? Do we treat it as a substance addiction, meaning that those individuals can't eat those foods, you know, Mm. presumably for the rest of their lives? Do we treat it as something behavioral? So are we incorporating whether they're eating alone, whether they're eating with other people? Um, And I mean, that's that's, again, something incredibly complicated that we can pull from other um, treatment of other substance use disorders, but we can't necessarily copy.
2: Okay, it might not be able to be answered, but so... Again, draw, drawing my comparisons with substance use addiction, when we look at the root of the cause, we look at um, genetics, we look at environmental factors, we look at home life, past experiences, etc. Is that something that would be looked at? And again, air quote, food addiction, um, and would they be the same things that we would look at? Would we look at genetics, and you know, and if we are looking at genetics, are we then saying that it is a thing, and we need to look for said? You know, gene and other things. I don't know whether in clinical work you've been, you've come across anything that would predispose, I guess, a predisposition to, echoed food addiction.
3: Yeah. So I think that again, the line is really blurred because we don't exactly know what food addiction is. So uh, there has been some work comparing, um, let's say, genetic predispositions to substance use addiction and genetic predisposition to eating disorders, which are separate but might potentially overlap because we do know that uh, there's a pretty high comorbidity rate between eating disorders and substance use disorders. So whether or not food addiction lies on that sort of same genetic um, pathway of predisposition is still being investigated. But I think that again, there needs to be more clarification about what's actually going on so that we can pin it down. Because if we're defining food addiction as something that might be an actual just overlap with the predispositions to substance use addictions, we might be saying that there's something there when there's really not just for food. It might just be for substance uh, like use in general um, or for eating disorders, but we're trying to throw it into a box that it doesn't belong in necessarily. It might just actually lie in overlap between the two, but I think that more work needs to be done for that
2: absolutely and if it isn't if it isn't a thing then we're looking for nothing
3: yes (laughs) we're we're making assumptions about something that isn't there which i think is um a pretty consistent criticism of food Mm -hmm. addiction in general um that we're we're trying to find something as uh as we rush for a solution to this, you know, air quote, obesity epidemic, uh, mm-hmm. that that we're just so desperate to, to grasp for straws at anything. And, and I don't think that that's necessarily an intention of people, that they're just trying to find an explanation for what's going on. I think that uh, obviously there are phenomena happening at both, you know, the level of food as a substance and food as a behavior. I just think that there needs to be a lot more clarification and investigation into that.
2: Yeah. Okay, so I think I've co- we've covered quite a lot today. Um, I think the summary is is that it's a new emerging field. We still don't know whether it is an addiction or not, or whether it should be called an addiction or not, whether it's helpful for society, for individual, whether the blame shifts from the individual to the society, whether that's good, whether that's bad, good foods, bad foods. It's all very confusing. It's a massive, broad topic, and this podcast doesn't even scratch the surface so food addiction is it a thing we don't know hope you enjoyed listening goodbye
0: selling a little or a lot Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med
3: has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from